0: I'm preaching a message this morning. I've entitled zeal for your house And you'll see where I get that from our focal text in just a minute As we are now in chapter 2 and as we move from chapter 2 onward through John's gospel what we'll discover is that from chapter 2 through chapter 12 He has what's been described as a highly stylized section It's often called this section from chapter 2 to chapter 12 of his gospel account the book of signs The book of signs and the reason is, is because he presents several signs throughout these chapters That present and portray who jesus is and then when you get to chapter 13 That's sometimes called the book of glory because from chapter 13 through chapter 21. It's all focused in on one week holy week when jesus was Betrayed when he was arrested when he was Convicted to die raised up on a cross crucified buried resurrected from the dead Scholars have identified in this first section the book of signs from chapter 2 to chapter 12 Seven specific signs that john has recorded for us so that we might understand and know Jesus but it's interesting as we go through these seven signs the specific location Where these signs are performed Jesus invades Institutions of the jewish people And in this invasion of these specific Institutions he shows how they are lacking one But two how he is the very fulfillment of the old testament institutions that have been a part of the jewish faith forever so last week we saw that he invaded the institution of Marriage. He performed his first miracle at the wedding in Canaan, the first half of chapter 2. And at that miracle, he takes the stale water that was intended for the ritual of purification washings, and he turns it into the good wine of the gladness of hearts. This is Jesus. He comes to replace the stale ritual with joy in him. And then the section we're studying today, Jesus will demonstrate that he is in fact Lord over the temple itself. And he is a better temple. He is the final temple. Next week as we get into chapter 3, we're going to camp out in chapter 3 for about six weeks. This is the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus in the middle of the night. Again, I've referred to it as Nick at night. In those six chapters, or those six messages in one chapter, we'll see how Jesus confronts this nicodemus who was one a pharisee and two a ruler over the teaching of israel and what jesus does is he says i am confronting and i am replacing hebrew teaching with true teaching you see because all jewish teaching all teaching finds its ultimate fulfillment in jesus christ and we'll see that As we go through chapter 3 when we go to chapter 4 he goes into the forbidden zone of Samaria at least forbidden for Jews And there he has a divine appointment with the woman at the well And what jesus does there is he's showing he's lord over the nations one and number two All people are invited to be a part of his kingdom You move into chapter 5 and he begins to show that he is lord over the festivals of the hebrew culture And the first festival he invades is the weekly festival known as the Sabbath day. And Jesus demonstrates not only is he a better Sabbath, but he is the fulfillment of the ultimate Sabbath rest. You move into chapter six, and he confronts and he fulfills the Passover festival. You move into chapter seven and chapter eight and chapter nine, and he shows that he is the fulfillment and completion of the festival, the feast of tabernacles. And it's there he proclaims, I am the light of the world So jesus is showing through this book of signs that he is the fulfillment of all the old testament institution So this whole section Demonstrates that reality now today as we look in the last half of chapter 2 He will show that he is the fulfillment and the completion of the jewish institution of the temple He's the lord over the the temple so look with me in your bible or on the bible study outline that's been provided at john chapter 2 we're going to read from verse 13 through the end of the chapter this is god's word hear it the passover of the jews was at hand and jesus went up to jerusalem in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his Name when they saw the signs that he was doing But jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people And needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man The famous evangelist and pastor in chicago illinois d.l moody once preached a sermon What if christ came to chicago? and the question of the sermon was Really to get to this point if jesus showed up in chicago, illinois at the time of dl moody Where would he go? What issues would he confront and I would ask a similar question Where would jesus come today if he showed up in chattanooga? What would jesus do? What issues would jesus confront and correct? I think it would be similar to what he did two thousand years ago when he showed up in jerusalem To the temple, you know many of our small groups are going through the study of the book by dane ortland called gentle and lowly and it is a tremendous book which highlights these profound aspects about jesus's character namely that he is gentle and lowly in heart and that title is taken from jesus's own words in matthew chapter 11 notice he says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. What a wonderful invitation that at the very core of our being, our souls, we can find rest in this one who self-describes himself as being gentle and lowly. And as beautiful as that description is of Jesus, that he is gentle and lowly in heart, It must always be considered in light of the totality of his character Yes, jesus is savior But jesus is also lord Yes, jesus is the lamb of god, but jesus is also the lion of judah Yes, jesus is the one who is sacrificed for our sins But listen jesus is also the one who will sit in judgment over every person throughout all of human history These kind of aspects of his character and his nature are sometimes seem contradictory to us In fact notice how the great american theologian jonathan edwards put it in one of his sermons On revelation chapter 4. He said this there is in him A conjunction of such really diverse excellencies as otherwise would have seemed to us utterly Incompatible in the same subject in other words These things things seem contradictory, but they exist incompatibly in Jesus. And here in chapter 2, we see these diverse excellencies. We see these two aspects of his nature. In the first half of chapter 2 that we studied last week, Jesus goes into this wedding and he cares for the seemingly eternally insignificant needs of a family, a groom. Running out of wine at a wedding celebration, but like a lamb He provides for this incidental need so that he saves their reputation from having a black mark upon it upon their community And there in this section we see he has these lion like Aspects he comes in and he invades the temple complex and he wreaks havoc on those who are gathered there Now this section begins by telling us in verse 13 these words the passover of the Jews was at hand. Now, it is because of John's gospel account that we know Jesus' ministry was approximately three years long. Here's why because John records three distinct Passover festivals that Jesus was a part of. This is the first one in chapter 2. There's another one I mentioned already that's going to be in chapter 6. And then finally, in chapter 11 and chapter 12, on to the end of the book. He is in the third passover festival that takes him all the way through his passion and holy week And so there are three passover festivals and passover was really a great festival likely the highest festival Among the jewish people why because it marked the greatest salvation Event of the old testament What was the greatest salvation event of the old testament when they were delivered from egyptian bondage and captivity Through the power of god and the passover record reminded themselves of God's deliverance and God's power. And so often, in the first century particularly, the Passover festival would be this heightened time of celebration. Some have likened it to what our environment and our culture is like at Christmas time, right? Everybody decorates their houses. Uh, Then they would paint the sepulchers bright white. They would decorate the city. Jerusalem, as the capital of Israel would be bustling with people who are coming to celebrate passover early historians estimate as many as two million Pilgrims would descend upon jerusalem during this passover festival it was uh, A height of expectancy there as well because passover marked the deliverance of the israel people From captivity and oppression. There was this sense of expectancy that was always around passover Why? Because in the first century, they were under Roman oppression and Roman occupation. And so often during Passover, there would be these uprisings and these revolts. And it isn't into this celebration that Jesus displays his lion-like character as he cleanses the temple. Now, as we consider this passage today and the historical event Of christ cleansing the temple at the beginning of his ministry He'll do it again at the end of his ministry recorded in the other gospel accounts as we look at it There are really three things I want us to see and from them take some personal application for our own lives Here's the first thing I want us to consider number one the address of his confrontation Uh, It's important to note the physical location the physical address where jesus went to very purposefully and intentionally To embark on this confrontation a very forceful correction of the people the end of verse 13 says jesus Went up from capernaum went up to jerusalem In the temple, that's the address. That's the physical location of this Confrontation it was in jerusalem. Now this is important. Jerusalem was the center of hebrew people It was the holy city. It was the zion of Jerusalem Israel and he goes there the people of israel longed for the prosperity of jerusalem They longed for it to be a city on a hill a, a light shining in the world. There was great admiration There was great reverence. There was great love for jerusalem among the people and that's exactly where jesus goes But he doesn't just go to jerusalem. He goes specifically to the temple in jerusalem So if jerusalem was considered the greatest city in the world by the hebrew people The temple was considered the center of their lives, the center of their worship. It's the place they really longed to be. They wanted to be in the courts of the temple. They celebrated going up into the courts. Why? Because, one, God promised his presence and glory would be there in the temple. Two, it was in the temple where the center of their worship took place. Three, it was in the temple where sacrifices were made for the atonement of their own sins. And so they would be reminded That they need god. It was there in the temple that they would Rejoice in the fact we are god's chosen people. We are his special possession And in this temple of jesus's day, it's actually the third temple in hebrew history The first temple as most of you probably know was built by king david's son Solomon and king solomon built this temple uh, Under his direction and it was a magnificent temple Beautiful structure when 586 bc when the babylonians invaded jerusalem They took away captive the jerusalem dwellers the people of that city and they raised the city to the ground They destroyed the beautiful temple that solomon had built But when they come back from their babylonian captivity around 516 bc They rebuilt a temple. However, this temple was very modest compared to solomon's original temple Fast forward about 500 years Uh, around 20 bc Herod is the king over Israel and Herod was a wicked man But he was a great architect and a great builder and he ruled over the people of jerusalem over the people of israel So really to accomplish a couple things one to ingratiate himself to the people of israel and two to show what a fantastic architect and builder he is he embarked on rebuilding Solomon's temple even of a greater glory than what Solomon had. I've got a picture of the temple Uh, It's it's actually a model of the temple. The temple doesn't exist anymore But this is a model of that temple and you can see there uh, a couple of Components of the temple this forward section is known as the court of the women Outside that court there would be signs that say if any jewish person is caught inside this section You will be killed So this first court is called the court of the women where only jewish women Uh, We're allowed to go you go up those steps and you go through those doors You go to the court of israel or the court of the men and jewish men could be in that area And then you see those large doors that would go into the holy of holies the most holy place And into that section only the high priest could go and then only once a year On the day of atonement and this was the rebuilt temple that herod the great built in jerusalem and according to our text he was working on it for some 46 years Uh, To give you a perspective, that's about how long the interchange at 24 and 27 has been being worked on in our history Now the thing is nothing remains of this temple anymore. It was completely raised to the ground in 70 ad by the romans Not a stone less left on top of another The only thing left is a portion of the western wall that surrounded the temple proper This temple was so beautiful and so magnificent when the roman Army entered and the commander of that army saw the temple. He didn't want to tear it to the ground It was such a magnificent structure, but he did under roman commands because This was the center of jewish hope Because of uprising after uprising and revolt after revolt. They knew we destroy the temple We completely destroy any hopes of israel coming to their former glory And so this temple was raised to the ground just as jesus predicted and it's into this temple that jesus comes herod's great temple it's into this jesus excuse me into this temple that jesus confronts their idolatry what's the point jesus goes to the address jesus goes to the physical location of their most cherished institution he goes to the place they most closely held in Value. In fact, look at this next slide. Jesus first shows up into Jerusalem to the place that was most cherished and prized by the people, the temple. Here's the application for us. When Jesus needs to do some work of cleaning and correcting and reforming, where does he go? To that place in your life that is most cherished and most prized by you. He will confront head-on your most closely held ideals. Why? Because he desires to be the ruler of your heart. He wants to be the king of your life, your mind. And he will come directly to the center of your life, that place that you hold most closely, that place that you love most affectionately. And he comes into your temple, and that's the exact place he targets for cleansing. The sad fact of the matter is we will resist his cleansing work in our temples. We will resist his invasion. Why? It's our temple. (laughs) This is my temple. This is my prized space. This is what I have affection for. This is what I value. And therefore, we will often defend it from his purifying work. We will resist his coming in to rule And to reign. What are some of those places that we might defend? Here's one our family. Now, are we to honor our family? Absolutely. But it's very easy for our family to become a temple where we worship. And Jesus comes in and says, You know what? I want to rule that temple. I want to clean out those things that are not bringing honor to me. It could be our occupations. Are we to work diligently to provide for our families? Yes, that is a biblical command. But it's easy for our vocation to become our obsession And jesus will come in and he'll say you know what? I want to rule that temple I want to clean out that temple. I want to rid it of any impurity sometimes it's our patriotism to our country our political viewpoints As important as those things are but he will come in and say you know what I want to rule that I want to rule over that We could go on and on Notice how Paul described our lives as Christians and their relationship to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Just as jesus came into the temple in jerusalem to begin the process of purification And removing of those things that are outside his design and his will He will come into our temple And he will begin to cast things out And we may say what gives him the right? What gives him the authority? He says right here. You're not your own (laughs) You were bought with a price the precious blood of jesus If jesus were to come to chattanooga today Where would he go? the temple of our lives. Jesus, gentle and lowly, Jesus, meek and mild, will come in like a lion and begin to clean house. He does it here. He comes to the temple, the central location of Jewish worship and attention. That's the address of his confrontation. Here's the second thing I want us to see from the passage. Number two, I want us to think about the activity of his cleansing. The activity of his cleansing. Cleansing. Jesus focuses his activity on the central activity that was to take place in the temple, namely worship, worship. Jesus is concerned about pure worship of God in the first century temple and the 21st century of our lives. Notice how his disciples interpreted this cleansing. They quoted from the Psalms, verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus was absolutely, passionately consumed with this space that was dedicated and designed for the worship of God. Unfortunately, the worship that the temple was designed to provide was overshadowed and dominated by all these other peripheral activities. Verse 14 describes what Jesus saw when he entered the temple that day. It says, In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Now again, there would have been upwards of two million people who would have come to Jerusalem during the celebration of Passover. They had descended on the city and during the celebration, one of the things they were required to do was to make sacrifice in the temple and they would take that sacrificed animal home and they would cook it and they would eat it in celebration of the Passover. Now, many traveled from a long distance, and it was difficult and cumbersome to bring an animal in tow all the way to Jerusalem. Plus, when they got there, that animal had to be approved by the priest. And there's a likelihood it would not be approved, so you are there, stuck with an animal, you can't sacrifice, you can't eat. So what people would do who traveled into town from far away is they knew we can buy animals who are pre-approved For sacrifice and we'll just buy them when we get there additionally in the temple It was required when you entered to pay a tax. We all get taxed. They got taxed However, the tax had to be paid with pure silver coins And so there would be money changers who would exchange currency there And so you brought your currency from whatever place you were coming from and they would exchange it for pure silver So you could pay the temple tax Of course a lot of these money changers would change the money at an exorbitant profit, the um, sellers of animals would also sell them at a tremendous profit. Now at the end of Jesus's ministry, again, he cleanses the temple a second time at this third Passover from this one. There he makes this proclamation in Mark chapter 11. He says, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. This seems to indicate there was some corruption and financial exploitation that was taking place There in the temple complex, but at this earlier cleansing here in john chapter 2 He doesn't point out any kind of corrupt practices. He just simply points out their presence You should not be here. This is the temple. This activity should not be taking place Here in this space. Why because they were occupying the space that was set aside For the worship of the true God of Israel. In fact, look at this other picture. I've got another picture of the temple complex. This is a wider shot. And what you can see there is this large court area that was encircled by these walls. That area was called the court of the Gentiles. And this would be uh, the place where those who were not Jewish, who would come seeking God, seeking to know God, seeking to worship God, they would gather there to worship, and especially on Passover. And so Jesus is in that outer section, the court of the Gentiles, and it is a carnival. It is a bazaar with all these hawkers getting people to come buy their animals instead of their competitors' animals. And it is all this bustling activity. And what does Jesus do? Jesus vigorously drives them out. Why? Because they were obstructing the pure worship of God. That place was dedicated to worship God. Don't miss this statement. The most important pursuit of your life is to worship God. And anything that obstructs or displaces that worship, Jesus will come in and he will drive it out. That's the issue here. We are to be worshipers of god individually familially And corporately as a congregation. Those are the three areas. We worship god as individuals with our family and with our congregation And jesus comes into this space that's supposed to be dedicated to the worship of god and he cleans house In fact, look at this next slide jesus drives out those things that obstruct and displace the true Worship of god Now some will say Why did he get so upset? Why did he get so angry? And this is not just a fit of rage a temper tantrum This is all premeditated verse 15 says that he made out of some cords A whip now with all those animals there. There would have been lots of cords lots of ropes laying around that he could get together and he could braid them into a whip And he begins going through that temple complex, slapping the whip. He's turning over tables. He's dumping over the buckets of coins as they clatter on the stone floor. He's driving them out. Jesus drives out those things that obstruct and displace the true worship of God. Why did he get so angry? Because displacing worship is the worst thing that could possibly be done with all the buying and selling and trading and animals, money changers the one thing the temple was designed for was the one thing that could not be done there reverent worship of God you know there are a lot of things in our lives many of them good things, helpful things But they cease to be good things and helpful things when they obstruct or displace the worship of God. And it's interesting now that we've come back fully and completely after the pandemic, we are at about 75% attendance of what we were pre pandemic. And that number is pretty much uniform across churches like ours. We're actually a little higher than many churches. What that means is that 25%, one in four people who were worshiping God with the family are no longer worshiping God with the family. 25% of people who claim to be Christians no longer see the corporate worship of God as a priority. They have obstructed and they have displaced worship with something else. I don't know what it is It could be convenience They enjoy being in their pajamas all sunday morning Maybe they get to catch up on laundry Maybe they can go to a ball game Maybe they can go out to the lake and catch some fish I can worship from my deer stand I've heard that one 25% of worshipers say It's not a priority anymore And they're not here So i'm talking to you (laughs) Because you are here Is it possible in your own life for the worship of God to be displaced and obstructed by something else? Good things, helpful things. It's amazing to me that I've seen in my close to 30 years of ministry how the Lord's Day, which was one time set aside in our culture as that is a non-negotiable. We don't have ball teams that play or practice on Sundays. We don't do tournaments on Sundays. That now it's just another day. Well, I don't want my kid to miss out on a sports opportunity. Here's the opportunity they're missing out on, seeing you value worship with the family of God. That's the biggest opportunity, for them to see you value the worship of God. Not getting a few more hits in. This is exactly what's happening here in John chapter 2. They have all these other things that are helpful, that are beneficial, but they have displaced the worship of God. And for Jesus, worship is of the greatest importance in the world. And he makes his claim as the messianic king, as the son of God. I will have lordship over your worship of God. So what are we to do? Like Jesus, we must take the whip of cords and we must drive out vigorously those things which would obstruct our worship of God, personally, familially, and corporately. We must adopt intense opposition to some good things that intrude upon the temple that Jesus wants to purify. Again, look at verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus was zealously devoted to clearing out and cleaning the temple then and the temple of your life to restore pure worship. That's the focus of his activity, worship. That leads to the third thing I want to point out from this passage, the authority for this command. Verse 18, so the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Again, by asking for a sign, they're essentially asking, what gives you the right? Who gave you the authority to come in and start doing this? Now, it's to be noted, they didn't question the legitimacy of what he did. They didn't question the rightness of clearing out the money changers and the sellers. They just questioned what gave you the right to do this. Who gave you this authority? Now, Jesus' veiled response to their question Shows his unwillingness to reveal himself plainly to those who are hardened in heart The very fact that he cleansed the temple with authority some would say miraculously Reveals he has the authority to do it So he answers their question like this in verse 19. Jesus answered them Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up Of course, they thought he was referring to the physical temple structure that they were standing in that he had just cleared out No (laughs) The apostle john tells us Verse 21 he was speaking about the temple of his body Though the jews who had asked him for a sign didn't fully comprehend what he was saying Later his disciples understood What he was referring to they put the pieces together and though they didn't comprehend it we can comprehend it He was saying the sign I give you to say I have authority over your temple is the fact that i'm going to be resurrected from the dead What is the resurrection of jesus from the dead prove he's lord He's the messiah He's the king of kings. He's the son of god. Do you need e- any other authority? Description that he has the right to do what he says he's going to do In fact, look at this next slide through jesus's resurrection from the dead. He stakes his claim as lord over the temple and through jesus's resurrection from the dead. He stakes his claim as lord over our lives But there's a second thing that jesus is communicating here. There's a second meaning here If you remember back to about 30 minutes ago, I previewed the next sections of john's gospel And I talked about how jesus comes into each of these jewish institutions each of these jewish festivals And he shows how they are insufficient and lacking and how he is the ultimate Fulfillment of those institutions and the same is true here of the temple What jesus is saying is that this jewish temple in jerusalem which existed as a place for sacrifices where people could make atonement for sin Jesus has fulfilled the temple Jesus has accomplished through his own body what the temple could never do what the temple was only prefiguring and shadowing forth in fact in the book of hebrews the author of hebrews in chapter 10 he profoundly describes and compares and contrasts the old t- temple the old processes in the temple with jesus the perfect temple hebrews 10:1 says this for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered take away sins. But when Christ came into the world, he offered for one time a sacrifice for all sins. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins verse 5 Consequently when Christ came into the world he said Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired but a body have you prepared for me In burnt offerings and sin offerings you've taken no pleasure Then I said behold I have come to do your will O God as it is written of me in the scroll of the book And when he said above you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings these are offered according to the law then he added I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service for after saying this is the covenant that i will make with them after those days declares the lord i will put my laws upon their hearts and i will write them on their minds and then he adds i will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more for where there is forgiveness of these there is no longer any offering for sin therefore brothers Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Through Jesus' death, burial, In resurrection, he has set aside the old temple. He has set aside the old covenant. He has set aside the old sacrifices, and he has replaced it with a perfect, pristine temple, the temple of his body. And through the veil of his flesh, he has made a way for you, Christian, to enter into the very holy of holies because it's all about worship. You can worship the God of the universe. And as a great high priest, he has made us priests unto God. Let us be like our Savior, the great priest who is zealous, passionate for pure worship. Let us take out the cord and the strands and vigorously drive out those things that obstruct, that obscure, that distract us from pure worship of God let us be a people who proclaim hallelujah all i have is christ hallelujah jesus is my life that leads to my last thought as our lives are purified we will have a reverence for god and a passion to make him known becoming a house of prayer for the nations let's go to him in prayer